You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. We'd like to welcome a new sponsor, Bombfell, to the SpyCast family. You'll be hearing more about this innovative company a little later, but first, let's meet our guest. So we're joined today by Liz Wall, who's a journalist and correspondent for Newsy, where she primarily covers foreign policy, although not exclusively, as nowadays foreign policy and domestic policy are pretty hard to separate. She was formerly an on-air journalist and an anchor for RT, and you might know this, used to be called Russia Today, before she quit dramatically in 2014, uh, which I will not get into because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. So welcome, Liz. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here on SpyCast. Thank you. Good to be here. So it's easy to look at RT in hindsight, a lot of people now have been somewhat educated about what the, the news channel is. But I actually, I remember when it bro- when it popped up, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago. That at the same time as CCTV and even Al Jazeera America, like okay, there's a interesting way of looking at the world that's not mainstream media. They 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 recruited Ed Schultz and Larry King, like they had these major names, and so it's easy in hindsight to be like, how the hell did you get sucked into working for RT? But I, I want to actually ask you that question without any judgment attached to it. So what, what drew you to RT uh, as a news source you know, to want to work for them? Right. Um, well, some of the things that drew me there are what you had mentioned. Um, the way that it was pitched to me was that uh, we'd be covering stories from a different perspective, covering stories from the, that the mainstream media ignores. Um, it's kind of uh, uh, this anti-establishment kind of um, uh, kind of approach, <laughs> I guess I would say. But um, and at that time, you have to think uh, it was I started working there in September of 2011. Uh, the world was very different right. from what it is today. Certainly, Russia was not in the news on a daily basis. Um, if you're talking about active measures or Russian influence operations, the layperson would think that that was the days of the past. 
Well, I mean, the listeners may remember in the 2012 election when Mitt Romney said the Russians were the number one national security threat, and everyone made fun of them for it. Everybody made fun of them, and we at RT were making fun of them too. And we we kind of went along with that kind of Russophobia. This is just Russophobia, these people that are viewing uh, Russia as this um, huge adversary is uh, they're they're living in the past and um, and and there 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 was this kind of idea um, as you had mentioned I think that kind of ridicule that came after that was a result of this hope or maybe misunderstanding that there was some kind of a reset that was going on um, certainly at that time my interest and knowledge of Russia certainly is not what it is today. Um, and so uh, this is bef- before Ukraine. And, um, and so when I came on board, it was pretty, it was pretty much what they said it would be. Uh, we would cover stories that, that we felt were underreported. Uh, we would cover stories that would attract crowds that felt like they weren't being heard, certain stories that some people felt were being censored mm-hmm. by the mainstream media. So in that way, you could kind of cultivate a certain type of audience. Um, and, and one thing also that I think is important to remember, uh, and I think ultimately important to, to counter it in the long run, is that um, it's not like you're stepping into this big propaganda factory, right. like you're coming in and, uh, you know, there's m- montages and, you know, to, to, no to Vladimir Putin. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's none of that. It looks like a regular newsroom here in Washington, D.C. It's mostly Americans uh, that are employed there, uh, which is interesting. We can get a little, a little um, more into that later. Uh, about how I think they actually use Americans against against our own country, right. um, and so and so basically, the, the times have changed right. <laughs> a lot. Well, I mean, since I, then. I can see how it would have been incredibly appealing to. I mean, you have oh, this yeah. combination of these heavyweights like the Ed Schultz's and Larry Kings, and then they came to what Guam, where you were you're on air <laughs> in Guam. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and they, they they said we're going to give a chance to a young upstart reporter. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and, and let you play with the big boys in Washington, D.C. I, I can see how that would draw people. Oh, in. absolutely. And I was you know, the way that it traditionally works. You know, I was thinking to transfer to another market in the, on the mainland, as, as we call it. And then they I guess they saw one of my videos on YouTube. And for one reason or another, thought that I would be a good fit. We had a couple interviews back and forth. Uh, they asked me for some story pitches where, you know, what do you think is not being covered? Uh, the the guy that made the ultimate decision was a Russian guy with a very thick Russian accent. Sometimes it would get a little bit weird, but I thought, you know, um, could be a cultural difference. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the New Jersey, yeah. oh, now the Brooklyn Nets are owned by a Russian oligarch. You know, I mean, there, there's, I'm from Miami. Half of Miami now is owned by the Russians. So <laughs> yeah, in the that's last 10, true. 15 years, there's been such a kind of a crossover of Russians with money mm-hmm. who before recently no one really tied them back to the russian government Mm -hmm. yeah and uh that's a whole nother conversation to get into now where that's something maybe you wouldn't really think of as something that might be um a threat or something that we should be concerned about even um but now we're taking a look at that and um in the uk that's an issue as well with oligarchs taking dirty money and investing that into u.s property and um real estate um to what extent is that you know are we allowing that to happen and is that um are we complicit in some of these things right if you remember you know 
even recently as five years ago, everyone's like, the Chinese are buying everything. The Chinese are going to own America. No, now, <laughs> now the Russians are the ones swooping <laughs> right, in right. and buying all the things. So when you first started, you didn't have any misgivings. You know, it didn't look like in any other kind of news organization. Uh, but I read that your, your one of your first stories was the Occupy Wall Street movement. Right. Uh, did that that was that your first hint at this was a different kind of news organization? Yeah. So yeah, that was. I think I started, and it was the next day or the day after that Occupy became a story, and the news director. It wasn't really a big story. It started out with maybe a couple hundred people in Zuccotti Park in New York. And uh, he was he, he told us at the morning meeting, you guys, this is our top story. We're going to we're going to blow this up. Um, we're going to. And then eventually this, the protest started to spread and we would cover it relentlessly. And um, and then again, it's like, well, well, why? Uh, there's they're saying this is not being covered in the mainstream media. There are legitimate grievances and people that are yeah and there and there were right. and these are the things that and, and this is kind of where it gets murky because okay what were they protesting people are people were upset people were upset about the bailing out of the big banks they were upset that uh, the student loan crisis uh, they were upset for various things that were legitimate um, and so and and you would go to these protests and and some of them some were just kind of hippies hanging out. And others were people that were really suffering that were protesting that wanted to get their voices heard. Now, why were we so obsessed with it? Right, uh, that's the yeah. key question, right? Because CNN covered Occupy. Everybody was ended up covering Occupy Wall Street, but the editorial slant of RT was the kind of the key what made you different than everyone else. Right. Why was this a top story for months and months? Uh, it was almost came to this obsessed. There was it was it was like there was this obsession with this story, and you got to think around this time there were protests sweeping Russia, and um, over the election of, of Vladimir Putin, um, his his presidency, and we, we just we didn't look at that. Um, and well, you asked why well, we're covering domestic issues, but ultimately, and you would learn that you know. The reason why is because it just it makes the U.S. look bad. Right. If you focus in on these protests, these tents, um, people uh, turning violent in some cases, uh, they're bashing the system. It, it sends this message that we have our own corruption, capitalism it doesn't work, democratic values are a sham. Um, and so at the end of the day, it creates this or it aims to create this. Uh, kind of false equivalent equivalence and narrative that the West is no better and in right. no position of s superiority. So, you know, who are we as the West? Who are you, the U.S. or, you know, NATO or our allies, democratic allies to say uh, that you're better than than us? When and, and who are you to poke around in our business when you have your own stuff going on? Take a look at what's going on in your own country. Right. So, um, and that's basically all you did when you first started for weeks, if not months at a time. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but then we'd cover things like, mm, let's say legitimate issues like the war on drugs and the, and this problems associated with that. And one thing that they fixated on that I think is interesting now is, uh, the surveillance state, uh, the, you know, big brother, uh, police brutality. 
all these kinds of things that are genuinely happening and where there's there's real problems. Now, I think where it gets problematic is that it takes it so far out of context that if you're just a viewer, you're you're sitting back and you're thinking, my gosh, America is a mess. Right. <laughs> Democracy is not working. Um, they are just an inner turmoil. This this place is going to break up and a revolution is is upon us, that kind of a thing. Um, and that Russia now would like no more than to have us rip tear, you know, to have to make it so we bring ourselves down. Right. Um, and so they see problems that exist and they work to inflame those existing divisions to amplify voices that are uh, already angry uh, and to uh, stir paranoia where there's already paranoia. Which is, I mean, that's an effective operation, right? You know, it's, it's why make up something fake that can be proven to be untrue when you can latch on and anchor on to something real and just put a slant on it and hammer it into people that they're going to believe it because they can see it right there in front of them, but maybe not to the right. extent. Right. So that uh, is so in in that that in that way, you don't necessarily have to invent a story from scratch. That happens rarely. Uh, I think that's when they get very desperate uh, when they resort to conspiracy theories. That's uh, kind of a sign that something's going on that needs to be covered up, <laughs> I think. Other than that, it's uh, exploiting uh, problems that already exist in our country and trying to make uh, the, our divisions deeper and to push, uh, to push people that are already, already skeptical, already feel like they are marginalized, already feel like their voices aren't being heard, and make them angrier and to make them... No, lose trust in the system, right. in our government, in our institutions, in our media. And that kind of mentality and that kind of narrative has really gained traction in the last couple of years. Well, not just in the United States. I, one thing I thought was interesting when I was reading about you was that you attempted to report about the French intervention, intervention in Mali, mm -hmm. uh, which Al-Qaeda was trying to take over the country and the French went in, and there was actually a lot of positive reception mm -hmm. for the French soldiers, which is rare in itself, right? <laughs> we usually go places and break a lot of stuff and people don't like us all that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is a situation where the, the people were actually very grateful that the French had gone in, mm -hmm. and that was a story you tried to cover, and they wouldn't let you, or they edited all the important stuff out of it. Right. Well, actually, that, that interview didn't even see the light of day. It did not. Um, it was not allowed to be seen. Um, and so that's an example of how I think the producers at the time, they, they were younger. They, they were kind of fi figuring out, you got to figure out how to, how to please the Russian bosses. And he essentially said, find somebody on the ground there that it can, you know, has the eyes and ears and can just tell us what's going on. So they booked this guy, very articulate, uh, very, he spoke English very well and, um, very, um, it was very thought-provoking, I think, and, and heartening to hear what he was saying. And this was a pre-taped interview, and, um, and so I get out, and I'm thinking, okay, that was that was, you know, that was great as far as the producers were concerned. And then the news director told me um, this was earlier on in during my time there uh, that that just it was a weak interview and it wasn't going to air. And I asked why, and 
he said it was he couldn't really give me an answer but it was clear to me that that was why um i wasn't asking the right i should have been fanning the flames of of uh nato uh intrusion and you know they're going where they don't belong and trying to be the world's policemen and here's the west again trying to um exert their superiority in in countries that don't want them there. Um, But that wasn't the narrative that was delivered, and it didn't make the U.S. look bad. It didn't make the West look bad. Um, And NATO is supposed to be a force for evil. Right. So well, it wasn't like it was a puff piece. I think, I think it was about people getting their arms chopped off. By exactly. Or so it was a pretty hard hitting. It was, and that's it? that's why I was upset. That's why I was upset with it. You know, if it was just kind of like a blah, okay, you you didn't really learn anything from hearing that. Um, I learned a lot from hearing mm-hmm. that. I, I hadn't heard a firsthand account like that. So, and I I was pretty touched by what I had heard from him. Um, and so for that to just not matter. And for that to be censored, ultimately, right. because it didn't make the, the West look sufficiently evil. <laughs> um, that was one of the first times where I was like, that's messed up. Right. <laughs> was, yeah. uh, was the invasion, for lack of a better word, of Crimea and then the shenanigans in Ukraine, was that really the last straw that kind of put you over the edge? That was the last straw. Um, leading up to that, I think, was the coverage of Syria that really started to disturb me. Um, when, uh, of course, Russia, Syria uh, being allies. Uh, and it wasn't reporting that I was directly involved in, but reporting that I would see it on our website, for example, or the way that the international correspondents would be covering it. And um, it would be clearly skewed in a way to, uh, to cover up Assad's crimes. Uh, for example, when the first time the use that there was the use of chemical weapons and uh, the evidence was pointing to the fact to it being Assad, the Assad regime using those chemical weapons, very quickly they were finding any kind of, any kind of morsel of information or any voice, no matter how, how illegitimate, anything, anything to try to be like, okay, this is to, to try to blame it on the opposition basically gassing themselves. And so I remember, I mean, I I wasn't covering it or anchoring it, but they had on this nun who later would, I guess she had this reputation as Assad's nun because she, because of her friendliness to the the Assad regime. And she went on and said that the whole thing was a hoax, that it was a false flag. And the the video of the, the lifeless bodies of the children and the families, that it was all fabricated. And it was just this this nun, right. you know, with no background in forensics or chemical or weapons, anything. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but she said this, right. and so therefore she deserved to have her voice amplified. So there was no there was no regard at all for the truth. There, this wasn't about making America look bad or just taking a story that exists and bringing attention to that. It was a blatant manipulation over an atro- like pretty atrocious war crime. Um, so, and I would just see the reporting of Syria and that would leave me very unsettled. Um, now, when Ukraine happened, we covered that uh, in a lot more depth. Like I, I, I from my perspective, that was a, a kind of a, 
a pinnacle moment <laughs> where it went from, okay, maybe an alternative news source to outright propaganda. Um, when that, when that conflict was ongoing and active and, um, the revolution was heightening, um, and it turned more and more deadly, RT would more and more try to distort the story um, to try to fit their narrative. Why? Well, this has a, this has a lot to do with Russia right. and Russia's interests. Um, and so um, it, and so it was kind of like it was it was this very tense, like every question that you asked, every word that you said, everything felt just like it had to fit a certain, it was not even an angle because an angle is kind of like, okay, we're going to cover it from this direction. It was more like, let's make this story this. Um, and so, yeah, that was, for me, that was my final straw. And uh, observing it, uh, I'm, I'm not a uh, an avid watcher <laughs> of the channel because it can drive you a little crazy if you um, pay attention to what's really going on. It, it has gotten a lot worse, I think, in yeah. the last couple of years. And, and now, I mean, uh, gosh, I remember back in 2015, uh, I testified before the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. And I had at that time brought up kind of uh, how this works, disinformation mm -hmm. and the way that these narratives are twisted and crafted. And I brought up social media and the use of bots and trolls and manipulating comment forums online and spreading these messages right. online. And um, and so I thought, okay, people are starting to pay attention to it. And, and here, here, here we are, 2017, and I'm listening to the testimony from the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee, so forth and so on. And here they are talking about Russian disinformation. Right. And bots like it's and a trolls. Brand new. No one's ever told them anything. Right. About it and before. I'm like, you guys, yeah. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> so your, your, your resignation could have been you sent in a form and say, I resign. I'm no longer going to work at RT. But you didn't do it that <laughs> I way. Didn't. I, and I think that's one of the things. Like, give the, the listener a little bit of an idea. You at Newsy, uh, you should definitely, listeners, uh, look up some of her work. Uh, she interviewed me recently, actually, and one of the recent stories is me talking about this Russia stuff. And and when I ever am interviewed, I look up who the interviewer is, and I said, "Holy crap, I have to have this person on Spycast because <laughs> you didn't just send in a letter; you resigned on air, yeah. and no one had any idea but you and maybe one or two other people that you were going to do this." Right. Nobody at the television station knew. Nobody at RT knew. Um, there was a reporter, because I, I was going to do it silently. Like, I was going to do it kind of more in that way. I wasn't going to write a letter. I was probably just going to go into the, the office and be like, listen, this has gotten too far. I, I don't stand for this. I, I can't do this, that kind of a thing. Um, and and then I was going to talk to a reporter about this uh, at the Daily Beast. And then on this particular day, it was propaganda story after propaganda story. And then um, they booked a former congressman, and I had to ask all these loaded propagandized questions, which I didn't ask. Um, and and then this was with Ron, uh, former congressman Ron Paul at the time. And then at this point, it was apparent that Russian troops were on the ground in, in Ukraine. And, um, 
And so I had just posed that question. And it was like a 12 minute long interview. So this was not being edited for clarity. I saw that the reporter, um, or when the video editor rather, was editing out that question. And I was like, why are you, why are you editing out that question? And, and the answer was one that would, that was in line with what the station would want anyways, right. you know, cause this is, I'm talking to somebody that is very, uh, the absolute opposite of a hawk, you know, he's right. more of an isolationist. Yeah. So, so his message was one that, that was favorable, but it was just, I could not even mention those words. Um, the possibility of reports of them being on the ground there. Um, and so, and so I just was, and I just, I got this feeling that what, that it was turning into something that, not only did I not want to be a part of, I just wanted to disassociate myself from it. And um, and I just, I felt like I had to say something. I just was, just, people asked me why, and I'm like, I was just so viscerally disgusted. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I figured maybe a couple outlets, uh, the Daily Beast, because I talked to the guy, uh, the reporter there, may, maybe it would get picked up. Um, but something resonated, because uh, it, it went viral pretty quickly. Um, well, here's what she said. And I, I'm, I rare that I you gotta say people, it like me. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> it won't. It'll be a little deeper. Uh, but I, I, I outweigh uh, Liz by about 150 pounds, so I'm gonna have a little bit more baritone. It's to all this, muscle, but, though. Right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yeah. You lie very well. Um, so here, here's what she said on air. Uh, as she was supposedly supposed to be doing a newscast. She said, as a reporter on this network, I face many ethical and moral challenges, especially me personally coming from a family whose grandparents came here as refugees during the Hungarian Revolution, ironically to escape Soviet forces. I'm very lucky to have grown up here in the United States. I'm the daughter of a veteran. My partner is a physician at the military base where he sees every day the firsthand accounts of the ultimate prices that people pay for this country. And that is why, personally, I cannot be part of a network that whitewashes the actions of Putin. I am proud to be an American, and I believe in disseminating the truth, and that is why, after this newscast, I am resigning. That's, was that, that, what I've read is that you just went into the bathroom before that and just jotted down some notes. So that's straight out kind of from the heart. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's extraordinary. I mean, that, that, that's, how did you, I, I hate when they ask these questions, like, <laughs> you just lost your whole family, how do you feel, you know, when the reporters <laughs> ask those yeah. questions. Like, you know, the, the kind of emotions that had to be going through you when you were saying this. I mean, this this had to be a pretty extraordinary moment. It was. It was. And I think uh, it's funny because I was talking to one of my coworkers about this. Um, and he was like, did you have a teleprompter for that? <laughs> I was like, no. What? How do you think that would be allowed on the teleprompter? They're like, OK, Liz, good copy. Like, go for it. <laughs> um no, you know, I, I just, I, I just had this, this moment. I, and I went, I was like, this is it. I have to do this. Um, and I went to the bathroom. I scribbled down just a couple of notes and then the coverage wrapped up and I, um, and that was just, I don't know. I think something's happened at some point in your life. And this, this was it for me where you ask yourself who I am, right. what am I doing? Um, what do I stand for? You know, where do I come from? I, all those things, if I were to, I, I reflected on that. Um, and that's what was going through my mind. And that's why I had felt the need to speak up and speak publicly.
We'll have more with Liz in a moment, but let me take a quick minute to tell you about Bombfell. It will come as little surprise to anyone who's heard me talk about my life on this podcast to know that I'm not a fan of clothes shopping. Trying things on in a fitting room, fighting crowds, the mall, no thank you. I'm an old curmudgeon at heart long before I have any right to be, and I'd rather stay at home and continue to wear my old Army PT shirts from 1998. Fortunately for people like me, there's Bombfell. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You complete a simple questionnaire and they're matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. When you sign up, you pay zero dollars. You only pay for the clothes you keep, period. Bombfell is the only styling service that does not charge any fees to work with them. They never charge above retail price, and you get a dedicated personal stylist, free shipping and returns, convenient home try-on, and the ability to preview and edit your stylist picks every order before it ships. Your stylist will actually even email you his or her selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control. It's the most simple, straightforward service around. They're on your side, because if they don't make money, if you don't find something you want to keep. Completely flexible, you can receive clothes once a month, every two months, every three months, and of course you can pause or cancel at any time. Look, I'm not kidding. This service is actually that straightforward and easy. And, and easy is key. Look, I'm, I'm what's known as awkwardly shaped. I'm five inches taller than my wife, but our legs are the same length. And only part of that's due to my abnormally large head. It's like Sputnik. What's cool about Bombfell is they help you to understand how certain clothes might fit. Because we all know that a size large might be roomy from one manufacturer, but fit like a halter top from another. So now, for the listeners of SpyCast, you can get $25 off your first purchase. Just go to bombfell.com spycast and begin this simple process of getting started. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash spycast to get $25 off your first order. Bombfell. Open and close. Now, RT called it a self-promotional stunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you think there was a, kind of a fallout from this in a positive sense? Because I think soon after you quit... Uh, Sarah Firth followed suit relatively soon thereafter. Have you seen anyone else kind of not from RT necessarily, but you've seen a perception change about how Americans view RT that may have been because of what you did. Now you said it went viral. It did. It went all over the place. But as we'll talk about in a second, I had this further down. RT on YouTube has billions and billions of hits, right? If they go viral with just about everything, you know, a lot of stuff that they do. So you've got a, a lot of heavy lifting to do to get the word out. Um, but are we moving in the right direction with that? I mean, it, not, not, I'm not asking you to put a lot of, you know, self-congratulations here about, oh. like, I changed everything. <laughs> but did, did you did you see some of that perception? Clearly, starting, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, the perception starting to change uh, once you did what you did as publicly as you did it. Um, well, I think, A, it brought attention to Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine. Um, it was getting some coverage, but I think some people tuned in and kind of thought about the conflict because for some reason in this day and age, viral moments will do that. Right. So I think it did have that effect. Um, so I got some, some letters from, from Ukrainians and some former Soviet states and that, that thanked me because they, they're dealing with it on a much more intense. Well, huh, that's hard to say now with what's going on. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, they've had their their elections uh, meddled with and have a deep history of of Soviet propaganda and oppression um, in a way that we don't hear. Uh, I mean, in terms of suffering, uh, 
being oppressed under their thumb. Right. Um, we've um, so so I think it, it brought attention to that, and um, and yes, because of that, I saw there was definitely a lot of uh, I got a lot of interview requests. <laughs> it got very overwhelming, so I think it brought to light what this organization was and what it was about. Um, and I think that this day and age, especially now, um, and I would have never imagined in the last couple of years that this issue of disinformation and fake news, which I dislike saying, I cringe when I hear it at, right. at a press conference because of the way that it's even that is beginning to lose its meaning. Wait, talk about muddling the issue between things that are really fake news. Exactly. And exactly. so something you don't agree with. Right. right. Now, like, you know, I, I Look, I, my listeners know I'm just to the right of Karl Marx in my political persuasion. So Fox News is not something that's on in my house very often. But rarely will I be like, oh, that's fake news. No, <laughs> they have a slant, certainly, just like MSNBC has a pretty significant slant. Right. But they're telling the news. There are things out there. There are, there are stations like RT and others that are literally putting out fake news. Mm -hmm. And to muddle the waters, maybe that's the plan, right? To muddle the waters and make everyone question every news source mm -hmm. is a pretty perfect intelligence operation yeah. when you think about it. And that has been one of the aims at RT has been to delegitimize the mainstream media. Um, they're all, the, they're corporate financed. They are just government mouthpieces. Uh, they're not to be trust, uh, kind of having these conspiratorial undertones. And here at RT, you get the, the real news that, that the Western, or excuse me, um, yeah, that the Western-dominated news elites are not telling you. Um, and so that has been a mission for Russian media, um, because if you don't trust the media, um, and you don't trust the information that you're giving you if, if you can't establish fact from fiction, what's true or what's what's false, uh, then that's a, that's a problem. That's a crisis. Yeah. You can't move forward. You can't make wise decisions. You can't, I mean, if you think about it, anything before, before you act or decide not to act, <laughs> you need some some facts to move along, whether it's, in science or medicine or law or in journalism or policy or whatever you you hopefully it's not always going to be perfect um but there's just i think there's this crisis of people really not even being able to distinguish the difference between facts and opinion right. and lies um so you had to have just been half vindicated by the 2016 election coverage, but at the same time, just you know, yelling at clouds oh. because you had been talking about this for two years by that point. Oh my gosh! Before that, during it was quite painful um, <laughs> watching the election unfold, actually, because I would see the stories um, and going along with how it manipulates. It's it, and it's a very targeted manipulation. So the fake news that would come out would try to, would, would target uh, those that are very, very, very far right and, um, and, and then also, also the far left. Right. And, um, and I would see even on my own social media feeds, even you know family members sharing stuff from 
from fringe sites, um, from from even Russian media. And, you know, they say you should never talk politics on, you know, at the end. But I I felt a moral obligation to be like, hey, you know, that's uh, Russian propaganda and they're trying to uh, take down America and (laughs) bring down democratic values. Um, That's you should probably not post that. So (laughs) not everybody appreciated it. Right. Um, but that's what it, that's what it does. It tries to, uh, it's this kind of psychological game where it tries to push these, uh, get people to more, to think in more extreme. So let's say in the case of Hillary Clinton, um, and this is where I think some, uh, where, uh, right now, for example, one of the big questions is, well, we know that Russia meddled, tried to meddle. We don't know the extent of how they were able to impact the voting right. outcome. I would make the argument that if you're going to hack the Democratic election, uh, the DNC, and release it strategically, uh, drip, 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 and you're controlling the narrative, and you're controlling what the mass media is reporting, um, that that's going to have an effect. Yeah, I mean, that's... A, that- it's immeasurable, right? It was just, right. You, you literally, I'm not using that word like, it's so big, it's, imme- no, it's literally, you can't measure the effect. <laughs> right. Um, but it's it's common sense to think that there are, I mean, I've talked to people out there who have said that they didn't vote for Clinton because of some story that now we know is total nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, whether it was the hundreds of thousands of trolls that were posting like pro-Bernie, anti-Hillary stuff on Facebook and other things like that. Again, I'm not doing any whining, listeners. I'm saying <laughs> that there's no way to know uh, what the effect was, but you know, it's hard not to think there was some. Right. There's no way to know, and that's true. But <laughs> I, I think uh, what's a flawed argument that I hear um, from some some people that maybe think that we're trying to question the legitimacy of of the election outcome um, is that uh, since there's no way to know, it didn't have an impact. Right. Uh, That doesn't equal each other. (laughs) Sure, we can't can't measure it because you can't really measure the movement of the human uh, psyche. (laughs) You just can't do that. Um, but we know if you're exposed to propaganda or a narrative for a long time, that think that molds how you think. I mean, go to Russia. Vladimir Putin has his approval ratings are pretty high. Um, why? Well, what is the information that they're getting? Right. Um, so I, I think we can't measure it, but I, I think it's a pretty sound argument that it had a pretty signif- significant impact. Well, I mean, I, I think people think that this is so overblown because Putin's not, you know, Putin can't think he can take over the United States. That's not the point, right? Just getting us chasing our own tails mm-hmm. gives him free reign to do what he really wants to do, which is Eastern Europe. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you talked about, started talking about Ukraine and Ukraine's a story that's almost disappeared. Right. From There's a, lot a war of going on there. Yeah. And you've covered it a lot. And I, and I think that it's really interesting. There's a lot of people in the military that are paying in the national security community that are playing close attention to Ukraine because today it's really a, a test bed mm. for a lot of the strategies that 
the Russians will eventually use one day on the further west. Oh, you yeah. know, everything from cyber to, um, you know, some of the hybrid war concepts that we saw with the little green men running around. Mm-hmm. You know, this is They're practicing it in their next door neighbor in order to potentially use it in other places. Oh, yeah. The Baltic countries, for example, yeah. uh, they're really afraid. I mean, they, they worry that they're, they're next. That little green men can pop up in the middle of Lithuania. Yeah. Um, and they have a very... Their history is one where people re- remember, and um, and so people are legitimately fearful that that can happen there. So when we're talking about active measures or hybrid warfare and all these things, they take it as an existential threat. Um, whereas here, we don't have that same kind of history, so people are more willing to think, oh, you know, um, Russia, the Cold War, all of that, like, oh, Russia's not a threat. Right. Um, and so when, um, when uh, the Trump administration or during the campaign had said, we, we can work together with Russia to fight ISIS, and that's our, the number one problem, that, uh, you know, that is the number one threat um, that hits a chord and that seems rational. Yeah, right. of course. Yeah, we should be working together with Russia. Um, but, <laughs> but. They actually, the Russians have actually used that as a propaganda tool when they had gone into Syria, blitzed across their state media was that they were almost on this like Russians to the rescue to crush out ISIS. The truth of the matter was that they weren't primarily targeting ISIS. Right. They were trying to prop, they were propping up their ally, going after Bashar al-Assad. The anti-Assad forces that were supported by the United States. I mean, this has became a proxy war. Right. And it still is. It still is. War. It still is. But I think pretty consistently what you're going to see on Russian news is that they are fighting ISIS. They're fighting terrorists. Um, so, uh, and, and I had spoken to you about this on mm-hmm. with my report, is that there seems to be this kind of misunderstanding about Russia and it being a threat, and I understand because just a few years ago, I kind of was in that sa- of that same mindset until I kind of got s- swept up in this world right. and woke up and and realized um, how what Russia wants and Russia's aims and their strategies are not meant to help us out. <laughs> well, and then you have people who, and I'm not going to name names, but you have people who are prominent Americans mm-hmm. who argue that. It, Russia and Putin are just reacting to the encroachment of NATO on, you know, on the, we promised not to include these countries in NATO and now they're in NATO and Russia has to defend itself, you know, and, you know, how damaging is that to the, to the kind of the overall real narrative that these are not people that we want to deal with when you have former cabinet members per se, you know, and prominent journalists and, and prominent websites that used to be considered, all right, I'll name WikiLeaks by name. When, you know, <laughs> fair. Fair. I think I can call out WikiLeaks. Yeah. When, when you have uh, a, you know, when WikiLeaks first published the Manning stuff, I was like, all right, I may not agree with this, but I, I get their, you know, mm-hmm. they believe in something strongly and they're doing something yeah. about it. That's and, another story, by the way. I covered the Manning trial. I was there at Fort Meade. Every day, real story. Yeah, real real story. story, But why are we covering it? Why are we so obsessed with this story? Well, now Assange has been, you know, had a show on RT. He did, and WikiLeaks is clearly, you know, if not directly associated with Russian intelligence, certainly a a willing participant 
yeah. than what happened in the last election. So you, there are forces aligned against the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and how difficult does that make it? I mean, our, our, we're not just fighting against people who think there's fake news. You're fighting against prominent Americans, or Assange is not, but others uh, that are saying, oh, it's our fault mm-hmm. that the Russians are just reacting to what we're doing. Right. <laughs> I know it's a stupid way to question that. No, 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 no. I, uh, I, I'm hearing you ask that question, and it's, it's astounding to me. Um, hearing some people. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name an. Uh, maybe I shouldn't name names. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think that some people get so swept up in a certain ideology that they begin to lose sight of the full context. Um, And uh, it's kind of like where the alt-right meets the alt-left. Right. Um, Where you are so swept up in this, um, the the West is is wrong and evil and, um, you know, and the mistakes we've made in the past with the Iraq war, for example, and um, I'll say I'll say like the, the Glenn Greenwalds out there that are they've had focused on the surveillance state and, and on the Snowden leaks. And he's become more of a uh, he's just so hostile towards the West and um, and U.S. foreign policy that uh, that that is it's so ingrained in that ideology that he's unable to see the bigger picture where he's unable to call out Russia, where he has written an article and equates Russian media with American media. And there you go again. Um, Somebody that is delegitimizing our media and ours. And we we can have, uh, uh, I complain about some, our media sometimes. Um, It's imperfect. Uh, we're, hu- you know, we're humans, but certainly I think the intent of most sound news organizations is, is to get the truth out there. And we have multiple sources that are not uh, connected or controlled by the government. And so uh, there's just absolutely no comparison, reasonable comparison. But you have people out there that, that, are, that are saying that. And <laughs> unfortunately, oh, I mean, it's puzzling. Some, some. I, I had interviewed a congressman, a pro-Russian congressman, that um, you know, I had asked him about uh, Russian meddling in our election, and he kind of brushed it off and said, oh. "I don't have a double standard." And he played the guitar. And he played the guitar. Yeah, that, that's in the same uh, <laughs> interview that I was in, so you can knock those yeah, both yeah. out at the same time to see exactly what Liz is talking about. While at the same time, and you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder is is. Uh, and and I had this conversation with with you. Um, is to what extent are they? Do they know what they're doing? Right. Um, or the useful idiot? Yeah. Idea, right? And this this has been brought up by some intelligence fi- officials during the testimony. Is um, there there's there was some kind of coordination? A collusion is is a strong word that would show intent. But you know uh, that they were helping each other whether it was mutual interests that were there um but that they were help that perhaps 
these uh, cam members of the the uh, associates of the campaign were, were helping wit unwittingly. Right. Were helping and didn't even know it, or were going along with it because it boosted their campaign, uh, because that message resonated with their viewers. Um, and so it was. It, it's been troubling to kind of see that alliance, um, because some some talking about voices that were <laughs> ignored. Some some voices should be ignored. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that that one of the other things that had kind of troubled me about RT is it exposed me to some some of these groups um that i had not you know people i didn't normally hang out with um <laughs> that thought 9-11 was an inside job that just thought our government to be so evil and so corrupt and so you know we have to take down the system uh and i and now these th those people were on the fringes they had a platform on russian television and to see them come out now um, and to have their point of view or their narrative pushed into the mainstream. Right, and, and legitimized so that we would never agree to even have these, some of these people on TV just a year or two ago where, you know, it's fun to see some of them get punched in the face every so often, which, you know, gives a little smile. I wonder who you're talking yeah, about. We tweet that a couple times. <laughs> it went viral, but that person should never be near a camera and taken seriously. And, and 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 I I think that the crazy and the, the unwitting might be an interesting way of looking at this, or just not caring enough to do anything about right. it. Because I doubt there's a single human being, and again, my listeners know where I come from, that in the White House today, mm. that believes the same thing that Richard Spencer believes. Right, right. But he's good for business, oh, and he's gosh. good for recruitment, and he's good for getting people to give money. And so there is that kind of. I know the, the left does it too, right? There's the mm -hmm. rabble rouser screaming from the left where Democratic uh, should, Democrats should easily tell them to go to hell. Right. But they don't because that's the base in some cases and they want to continue raising money. I mean, there's a jackass who, when Steve Scalise was shot. We can so, use that word on this show. Oh, you can use any words you want. Oh, yes. well, now yeah, I, know. I know. I know. I should have told you in the beginning um, <laughs> that, that when Steve, Steve Scalise was shot, said, I, I wish he had killed him. And it's like, bye. Have a nice oh, day. Yeah. Never come back. But you didn't see that across the board from a lot of Democrats. Yeah. That should have been the number one response to that. But let's not rock the boat. So mm. bringing those far left and far right into the mainstream it's just asking for it. And it They're, seems like the Russians have opened those doors. They they have. And it's what's scary, um, you know, when uh, when I study this and or really for anybody that spends some time on social media, you, you see the crazies on there and you're just hoping you're, you're hoping not to meet them in real life. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when or this you, you is you again weigh 150 pounds less than me you hope, <laughs> I, I hope to run into many of them in real life you yeah. know where i work come on down yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i'm yeah um i might be small but you know no, i no, can no. i i work out <laughs> um so <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking? Oh, yeah. yeah. When these trolls, trolls, what happens when they get swept up in this really paranoid conspiracy thinking that is pushed out by the alt right meets Russian media meets uh, mainstream talking heads that that feel like it's gonna amplify their audience or appeal to their audience? Um, we had that PizzaGate situation right. here. 
that guy was got really deep into the the fringes and of the web and believed what he was hearing and brought a gun in to pizza place here in dc popular pizza pizza place and thought there was a pedophilia ring ran by john podesta Podesta. (laughs) he really thought that um and so and that's an extreme case but i remember thinking and i'm uh, and thinking is this is paranormal but back then you know these people that were that comment that say 9-11 was an inside job or sandy hook was a false flag or um, anytime there's some mass shooting that it's a government false flag hoax operation. I mean, you, you have to think, you know, if you truly believe in that, if you think our government is so corrupt and evil, um, that can be a dangerous thing. And what are you doing here, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of places that like your ideas. You can go live in those places. Try it out. Yeah. Try it out for a while. Yeah. Come back, and uh, I'd like to hear your your reviews. Well, we, we've <laughs> gone a little bit. Away. I, I want to make sure that we, we talk a little bit more about Ukraine because you, you um, did a really amazing story from a couple months ago on Ukraine. And, and again, I'm worried that it's it's falling out of people's minds because mm-hmm. we have enough shit to worry about here yeah. without thinking about Ukraine. But this is a pretty fragile state. There's still corruption. There's still, uh, it could still fall from both internal pressure and, and like just, you know, eat, being eaten apart from within, but also there's the external pressure still mm-hmm. from the Russian side. And and I think for, for American foreign policy, Ukraine falling back into the sphere of influence of the Russians would be pretty disastrous. Right. Um, and, and so how close is it? How much do we need to be paying attention to that? I think we should be paying very close attention to it because Ukraine has been a testing ground for a lot of the things that we're seeing. Uh, Disinformation, for example, uh, during the ground war in eastern Ukraine, uh, along with that came a propaganda blitz um, to confuse people as to to what was going on and um, and to to uh, make it seem like it was a Western-backed coup and um, the opposition was neo-Nazis and the Russians are there to, uh, as this peacekeeping force, just all of it basically stirring kind of almost like, I mean, fake news about your own, about intrinsically inside of Ukraine to, to make Ukraine turn on itself. Or and again, either that or just for people to not really know what's going on. And um, so there was that internal propaganda campaign, and then the propaganda directed towards the West, so that NATO couldn't figure out what was going on, right. and um, and for the so the West and, and the EU couldn't have a unified voice. You know that that's that's the aim there. Um, so there's that. Um, Ukraine has been a testing ground for for disinformation and hybrid warfare, um, but also for for other things, uh, for economic pressure, um, also when it comes to energy, um, uh, the influence of oligarchs, um, and also I'm going to be doing um, well. Uh, another another thing that is has been where Ukraine has kind of been a testing ground is the a uh, couple years ago, a part of their elect- electrical grid got wiped out, and they a cybersecurity firm did some research into it and they connected it to a uh, Russian state operator. 
And so now there, there's a senator that had voiced concern about this recently. There were 20 senators that had signed on and are urging the president to look into this and mm-hmm. our vulnerabilities within our own system. Right. Because if they did it there, um, surely they're going to want to mimic that elsewhere. Um, just like they're going to want to interfere in our election again. Um, Russia yeah, does it works. Why go away from it? Right. 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 And um, and, you know, talking about active measures and hybrid warfare, it's being able to get what you want without using a gun, yeah. without um, declaring war. But um, and this new world that we live in um, where everything is a things are becoming increasingly digital and operating in the cyber realm um they see it as an opportunity where they can have this uh where they can exploit that right and um where they might be able to have an advantage that that we don't i mean our military is way more powerful we can't argue that but um if they can cause chaos and harm us um through those means then uh, then that's that should trouble us. That should be something that we should be yeah. prepared for and, and work to prevent and deter. Well, I think that's what I mean. A lot of Americans are going. Well, the cyber thing by itself is it's a big deal, but it's not like the end of end of times. But you combine the cyber with the fake news, with the election meddling, with you know oligarchs buying and using their money for influence. It all that's what the hybrid part of the hybrid war is. It's the combination of all these things. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in a little bit of special operations stuff on top mm-hmm. and you can see how quickly a country can collapse from within. And I remember I was I was thinking especially when you talked about I was reminded of it, but I remember thinking at the time about some of the statements of the Russian government and even RT during uh, there's no Russian soldiers in Ukraine, there's no Russian equipment in Ukraine. And they're making these pronouncements as you can see, like Russian tanks driving in the background. And I remember how quaint it was in 91 when 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 Baghdad Bob, who was the Iraqi uh, press spokesperson, was talking about the Iraq war. And then again, in 03, even more hilarious when he's like, there are no coalition troops in Baghdad. And then behind him is an American tank going by. And we laughed at that going, how ridiculous is this? But we're seeing it now again. And it's people are buying it like it's not something that people are going, oh, that's ridiculous, except for the wonks. There are people going, right. Oh, they're telling me there's no Russian forces in here. I'm going to believe them. And, you know, the Ukrainian separatists shot down the Malaysian airline Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that have all this advanced equipment. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) it it should be black and white. And it's extraordinary to me how the, the it's literally the water has been so muddied Mm -hmm. that it's hard to get across a basic concept anymore about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that way, I think that that's where the disinformation has succeeded. Um, And and I think it's, it's hard for, for when you when we talk about ISIS, that's very, that's a very obvious threat. Um, It's scary. It's horrifying. um, And, uh, the terrorist attack happen, you know, they happen, and people people see that and they react viscerally to it. Um, I think what people have a harder time understanding is the threat of Russia. That, I mean, they are not. It's not just one attack at a time. Um, it's 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 a big country <laughs> with a pretty big military and a former KGB spy that is trying to bring down our institutions 
that's trying to delegitimize our um, our government, our institutions, our, our values, um, and trying to break us, trying to break our alliances, and um, and so, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, you know. It's like what what is it to be a patriotic American, right. <laughs> and uh, I feel like something has happened where for whatever reason that it's that kind of disinformation has resonated um it's now i mean it used to be you know we're we're the greatest country in the world um where this where other countries would look up to us where we provided diplomatic aid and we were kind of we had these these freedoms that um that we shouldn't take for granted and other other countries aspired to be like mm-hmm. um and one of the kind of themes in russian propaganda is bringing that down right. I, I remember there was a reporter um that was actually the daughter of the former ambassador to the un Cherkin. um he passed away recently but um she because of because she was more willing to toe the line, I guess because of her background, she uh, put, would put a microphone in people's face and say, "Do you feel exceptional today?" <laughs> to make fun of American yes. exceptionalism. So it would be sometimes tacky things like that, right. but just to um, just to, to to bring America down. And, and you'll hear from the so-called useful idiots. Um, when you say something about Russia, they'll say, well, we do the same thing. What about us? What about ism? Yeah. Is. What about ism? Yeah. Drives you kind of, ugh. There needs to be a guidebook, I think, to dealing with what about is. What about is? How to deal with a what about is? <laughs> Let's do that. Sounds like a, that's, that can be one of your next big stories is how to deal with that. <laughs> um, so I, I highly recommend going on uh, the Newsy website and you can just type in Liz Wall and, and in her, her stories that she's worked on uh, will pop up. They're, they're really good. Um, Thank you. And uh, I have one on trolling coming out tomorrow. Okay, so there you go. So this won't be tomorrow. Oh when you yeah, this. So this will be long this. out. Yes, we're dating this. Well, but, then you'll definitely see it by yes, then. Yes, by then. So uh, you know, when you look at it, it'll be from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one on on trolls, but uh, check out Liz Wall uh, at Newsy. Um, follow me on Twitter. Follow her on Twitter at Liz Wall. At Liz Wall. <laughs> uh, Facebook, every other social media, um, and uh, and, I, and I think. I think this is our first step of many uh, in trying to push back against this. I mean, we, we, we do what we can here at this museum, and I know that a lot of the listeners out there are in the community, and they're doing everything they can also. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's good to know that there are allies around mm-hmm. uh, in different, different industries and different organizations that kind of can come together and say enough is enough because one election's enough. We, you know, we got more coming up soon. It's not just here, right? You look at the French mm-hmm. and the Germans and everybody else. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, the more people are yelling at the clouds, the, the better. We'd like to thank Bombfell for supporting SpyCast. Remember, you can get $25 off your first purchase. Just go to bombfell.com slash SpyCast. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash SpyCast. So, Liz, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Thanks Vincent. 
Thank you for joining us on SpyCast. Every Tuesday, we'll give you the most interesting conversations with some of the most intriguing people in the world of intelligence. If you'd like to send us a comment or suggestion, you can email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Or tweet us at intlspycast. That's I-N-T-L-S-P-Y-C-A-S-T. The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 nonprofit institution. To help support future educational programming, please visit spymuseum.org and click on our Donate Now link at the top of the page. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.